Blog Talk Radio. I want to preach a little while this morning. From the beginning of time, God had always planned that the church would be a light. That we would shine in a dark world. That we would be the way out of the world's darkness. Having done all to stand, stand. Therefore, having your lawns girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I want to preach to you a little while this morning. Don't whine about how long you've been standing. But we got to go through some stuff. You can't give in. You can't give up. You got to keep standing. See, you're not going to win a war and stand strong unless you have what it takes. The question tonight here on AJC Radio is very clear. The question is this, how does a religious institution become a target of abuse? Make no mistake about it, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, Pastor Rose Banks, became the latest victim, if you will, or attempted victim to hurt our most sacred right, and that's religious freedom. But what happens when they become a target, a pawn, if you will, in the hand of the U.S. government? Folks, hang on to your seat. Colorado Springs Fellowship, a church targeted, kicks off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt. Sapson, Riddle, William Williams, and the entire AJC radio team, along with the IRP5, as we get into this discussion tonight of about really the injustice and the abuse targeting our most sacred institution, and that is our religious right. We're going to deal with that tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you right now, what you will hear on this program is far more troubling than you can imagine. How does the government, without subpoena, without a court order, go into the financial bank accounts, not only of the church, of its pastor and its members, with no fear of what those actions would bring? We're going to get into all that tonight, and I'll tell you what, it's the most troubling thing that you'll probably hear in quite some time. At least it'll definitely rank up there. And uh, we're very glad to have you tonight. And, Samson, as we get into this conversation, uh, as long, as far back as I can remember, uh, churches across this country were a place that we thought uh, was off limits. Whether it's your aunt's church, your grandmother's church, in the local community, you never saw it as a target, if you will, by the federal government in order to 
bring whatever they were choosing to try to bring to an end. How important is it to get this message out that we protect those rights uh, in this country and expose this type of corruption? Well, I mean, it's critical to the foundation. I mean, if you look at the foundation of this government from the word go, I mean, in the Bill of Rights, the freedom of and from religion is right there in the Constitution. So the fact that the federal government tried to leverage its power to get in there to go after parishioners' bank accounts, the pastor's bank account, to go after a pastor, to go after a community, to go after an entire church, it's absolutely ludicrous. And the fact of the matter is, is that they did it. And are they being held accountable? Absolutely not. They're not being held to the law that they're supposed to uphold with their positions, with their power, with whatever it is they're supposed to be doing. The fact of the matter is they're not up there doing their job. They're up there trying to leverage whatever they can, do whatever they can to manipulate people, manipulate banking institutions, manipulate whatever they have to do to achieve whatever ends they desire. And the fact of the matter is, is that if we as a people don't get out there, as we, if we as an advocacy organization don't get up and stand up and speak out for what's right, nobody else is going to do it. Well, absolutely right. And uh, again, we're going to get into more of that along with the IRP5 that went through this. David Banks will uh, give some feedback along with the others as well. Uh, and this went to Washington, D.C. The actions that uh, the government did in, in violation, really, of law uh, was taken to Capitol Hill. Uh, the Senate Finance Committee uh, some years ago looked into this matter. Uh, and so this was serious. And uh, uh, the former uh, Senate Finance Committee Chair, Orrin Hatch, uh, actually opened an investigation into this. We're going to get into all of that momentarily. Uh, but right now, real quick, before we go to break, we're going to go to the current events happening in this country. You can't turn on your, your television stations anywhere you look. We're dealing with COVID-19. Uh, there's a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings going on, a lot of uh, kickback on the mandate, uh, whether it be for masks, whether it be the validity of the actual numbers, uh, and people are frustrated. Kids are frustrated. And the other day, I came across a young lady by the name of Blake, four years old, that really said it all in her words and was frustrated to the point I had to play it for our listeners tonight for this current uh, events uh, topic. Let's hear this little girl express her sincere concern about COVID-19 and being shut down. Let's hear it. Just now, everything in this world has to shut all the way down to nobody has to go anywhere because of their shutdown. The ice cream, the ice cream truck is shut down. And, and, the, ice, and the water truck place is shut down, which is my favorite part because it is my favorite one. What's that? Yeah, it has the gumball one where there's gumballs and there's like blues. And now they have to shut all the way down and we can't go anywhere. Not even McDonald's, which is my favorite restaurant. You can pick up McDonald's in the drive-thru. No, you can't. Yeah. You can't. You can. You can go in the drive-thru, but you can't go in the playground. Playing around, it wouldn't be boring. Yeah. And now they have to shut 
and it's just not fair because everything that is planned also has to be shut down. Yeah. And the only thing that that is open is nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Well, there you have it. Little Blake, I uh, did a little research on her, and she is a four-year-old girl uh, that was adopted by this family, and they've adopted other kids out of the foster care system. And I said to uh, someone yesterday, when she gets older, she's going to realize that she went completely viral uh, on a situation really just telling her heart. Uh, and I think it's troubling. I really do. I think we talk a lot about the impact on adults, on the economy. But this, when I saw little Blake on there and her tears rolling down her eyes, man, I'm like, this is not a show. This little girl was really troubled. That is not good. For four, she is, she's only been on this planet for four years. And she's already, she used the word frustrated at the age of four. So it's something that we got to really look at. It really touched my heart when I saw it. I thought she's adorable as she can be and to be that upset. But I think, and I think her parents made the statement that she basically uh, delivered her feelings is what all of us as adults are probably feeling the same thing and shutting down her favorite restaurant, which is McDonald's. Uh, it, that's, that's really bad. Uh, but I think we got to take a look at COVID-19, man. I tell you, a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of reason of concern. Uh, and I'll, I'll put this out here because this is what I've done through my homework here, uh, that over 55,000 cases of pneumonia and the flu were uh, flagged as COVID-19 deaths. People that came into the ER with pneumonia, and with the flu, they were slapped with COVID-19. This is what's really troubling. Uh, there was a friend of mine that said someone had gotten into a motorcycle accident, was rushed to the ER, and when they went through the ER doors, the head nurse said COVID-19. The reason that's that way, you have over $40,000 per diagnosis. That people that hospitals and people are getting federal money for, and if it's said that they died of this, it's sixty thousand per. Uh, David, your thoughts on that? Just again, as, as we deal with this little current events before, not little. I make no. Please don't uh, mistake me for saying COVID is little, but as we do this quick segment on that, your thoughts on that and these numbers? Well, overall, like I said, they've used this uh, as a political weapon. Uh, to be honest with you, it's it's sad that some people are taking advantage and some politicians are actually taking advantage of a pandemic. Yep. Uh, it's serious stuff, uh, but in my view, a lot of it is been hyped up and, and a lot of fear ha uh, has been instilled in people uh, just as this little girl. Everybody's running around scared. Uh, the reality is, at least what's reported, a 0.3% death rate. I'm sorry, but if you got a 99.7% chance of surviving something, I just don't see uh, the reason for panic. Uh, I just think Americans need to take a little more courage and face this. 
and and continue to go about their business and do what they need to do. Unfortunately and sadly, people die in this country, uh, and 2.8 million people in this country every year of various uh, things, yes. and people are going to die, and that's sad. And but we cannot and should not uh, destroy other people's lives uh, for something you have a 99.7% chance of surviving. It, it, it's a tragic, uh, I think, unfortunate situation. I think a lot of stuff being done right now and the way this thing is being hyped up is really unnecessary. Well, absolutely. And what they're not sharing with you, uh, this came to my attention uh, a few weeks ago, uh, that they're right now on the COVID, what they call resurge, uh, 97% recovery. 97% of the people diagnosed have recovered. I don't see those numbers on any main, main, main uh, uh, line stream, uh, lane, uh, the mainstream media, excuse me. I don't see those numbers. Uh, there's a reason for that, as David alluded to, dealing with politics and to stoke fears of people when the truth of the matter is we have some issues. A lot of people are, are dying. We make light of no one that has died from COVID-19. Uh, our thoughts and prayers are with the victims of this pandemic. But to add on that, um, what they're doing politically, I think is disgraceful. Uh, stay with us here. We'll always bring current events to you from uh, week in and week out. And on the other side of this break, uh, we are going to deal with an issue. Pastor Rose Banks, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, the latest target of a really a scheme of corruption and abuse. We're going to deal with that on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. <laughs> I surrender, I surrender. All right, pal. Get ready for the day, buddy. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. Do we have a gun? What's up? Do we have a gun? Why do you ask that, kiddo? Can I play with it? No, no, absolutely not. It's not a toy, you know that. Do I? I bet it looks like one. Yeah, well, it's not. Anyway, I need it to protect you, your sister and mom. From what? From bad guys, like on TV. But what about the eight kids who get shot every day by mistake? Their daddies probably thought they were safe, too. Where'd you hear that? TV. Yeah, well, maybe we don't believe everything we hear on TV. Where do you keep it? <laughs> it's hidden. I bet it's on the top shelf of the closet, under your sweatshirts. Is it loaded? It's not. I, I keep the bullets. In the boots with the red laces, and the chest beside the bed. I haven't found them yet, but I'm sure I can. You always told me to be curious. Remember when I found my Christmas gift? I'm a good climber, you know. No. No, that's not what I meant. Look, I, I need to be ready if someone breaks in. But what about when it's just me and Mom? You taught me to be brave. I could use a gun to protect her. No, Justin, I promise. I'll teach you how to handle a gun when you're old enough. And what if I don't make it to old enough? I could get bullied and decide it's too much for me. It would be so easy with our gun. Our gun? No, buddy. My gun. But it is our gun in our home. Happens all the time. I'll make sure that doesn't happen. I'm always here for you. But, Dad, you're not always here.
skies tonight with a low near 70. Increasing cloudiness tomorrow, sticky and humid with a high of 76. With the wind the criminal justice system has a set of rights created to protect you. But do you think it's really protecting us? You had a right to remain silent. But that really means you had a right to be silenced, doubted, interrogated, suspected. The color of your skin can and will be used against you in the court of law. In their hands, we're incarcerated five times more often than white people convicted for the same crimes. You have a right to attorney during questioning. In some states, 80% of criminal defendants can't even afford an attorney. So an overworked public defender controls your fate. One government employee, countless lives at stake. You had a right to be innocent until proven guilty. But somehow, about 47% of the wrongly convicted are black. And if they do prove you're guilty, they're going to write you a run-on sentence, on average, 20% longer than white defendants accused of the same crime. Even if you get out, you're still not free. When you're an ex-con, they had a right to deny you a bank account, deny you a mortgage, deny you a job, deny your vote. And if you don't remain perfect, with the smallest slip up, smallest infraction, the most honest mistake, you're gonna join us, the 80% who come back to prison within five years, as I did. That's when you realize they didn't bring us here to thrive. They brought us here to build this. The plantation and the prison are actually no different. The past is the present. It ain't no coincidence. This was the plan since abolition, to keep us subjugated by creating this system. But I believe in a different set of rights. The right to stand up and be heard. The right to reform a broken justice system and build a new future. We had the right to be silent. Now it's our right to speak up. Do you understand these rights as I read them to you? We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening and I was taught, you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Meeting a teen girl online is actually pretty easy. You can go into any chat room and just start talking. Most of the girls are usually so insecure and desperate for attention. Attention from older guys is totally flattering. They're so much more mature and understanding than the guys my Age actually works to my advantage. They like to brag to their friends that they're dating an older guy, so I just play along and pretend I'm really interested. Interested in the same things I am. 
You can talk forever and really get to know someone without worrying about looks or whatever. That's the best thing about chatting. Chatting seems unthreatening to them, so they lower their guard. After a while, I start talking about how we're soulmates and how lucky we are to have found each other. Other people don't understand. I know what I'm doing. If you really care about each other, there's nothing wrong with me. Meeting them is the goal. Once I get them out of their house, well, that's when things get really interesting. Online predators know what they're doing. Do you? For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where tonight we deal with a very troubling situation, if you will, that the government of the United States in the RP6, now known as the RP5 case, uh, I'll tell you what, they stretched out on a limb and sought a way to bring destruction, not only to the lives of these men, but to their local church community the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, Pastor Rose Banks. And I'll tell you what, the key figure in that type of aggression came at the hand of Sam uh, Samuel Thurman Jr. or Ken, I believe it's is it Ken, Kenan, uh, was a key witness for the prosecution after not even working in the building. He worked, I think it was, but he, did, he had no insight of the software, of what was going on, what was being worked. And when the governor of the United States got to Mr. Sam uh, Kenan, uh, I tell you what, he began to lie for no reason. And Mr. Kenan was a member of the church. And that is, I believe, David, as, as we've discussed, is where the door began to be opened to try to attack the church that came primarily from an ex-member, Sam Kenan, who was a member of the church, and just went down an avenue that you knew was absolutely, uh, uh, really you couldn't comprehend, that somebody would just simply say something 
And as we talked earlier, David, about perhaps any type of threat, the the prosecution perhaps trying to get testimony when they didn't have a case. Let's try to build a theory. Let's come up with a theory that has makes no sense. And Mr. Sam Keenan uh, was part of that uh, agenda, I, it, from what I feel. Your thoughts on that? Well, first I want to lay a little foundation. Uh, the government had no case. So obviously uh, the RP5 case or RP6 case, as it was uh, originally known as, was predicated on our business IRP Solutions. Uh, IRP Solutions developed uh, investigative case management software for federal, state, and local law enforcement. Obviously, there's nothing related to a church uh, as far as that as a software business goes. Uh, since, the, since, the, since we had not committed a crime and the government didn't really have a case, they have to come up with something when their, their uh, motives are nefarious. As as was uh, in our case with uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, uh, former Colorado U.S. Attorney John Walsh, uh, former Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, and uh, uh, third party that uh, a party that used to be a, a U.S. Attorney, uh, a man by the name of Greg Goldberg in Denver. The Goldberg family in Denver is pretty well known and pretty prominent uh, in legal circles. They were all involved in a nefarious scheme to bring us down. Uh, now, when the government had no case, they decided, because we went all, all went to the same church, they had to come up with something. So they decided, well, let's use their church and let's target them, use their debt and let's target the church. And like I said, we still don't know how this came about. Uh, Samuel Keenan Thurman became a witness uh, but didn't didn't initiate this. The government initiated this uh, in February 2000. In February 2005, our business was raided with a search warrant affidavit. It didn't say anything about a church in there. Yet two years later, in in uh, 2007, uh, the government uh, impaneled a grand jury. Matthew Z. Kirsch, AUSA Kirsch, impaneled a grand jury, and the grand the entire grand jury proceeding. Virtually all of it was predicated on questioning church members who work for the business. Now, what's strange about that is uh, church members are only half of the employees at our company, IRP Solutions. The other people that work for the business were not related to the church. Uh, so the government didn't call any of those witnesses. So it's obvious from that perspective, the government had, had made a decision, we're going to target the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church uh, as a part uh, and use the grand jury as a subterfuge to target the church when the church had no involvement and the pastor had no involvement in the software business. So uh, I think that lays a, a significant foundation uh, that the government's in, in the prosecutors here were engaged in uh, old Soviet Soviet Union style tactics uh, that that were uh, used during the Stalin reigns. Uh, and the, the the famous saying by uh, uh, Mr. Beria, uh, Soviet Union's chief of secret police, said, "Show me the man, and I'll find you the crime." That's exactly what was going on here in our case uh, uh, with the pro with the federal prosecutors in this case, and they had a nefarious motive. They were going to prosecute us and imprison us, innocent 
or not, we were going to be prosecuted, and they, and they were going to use the church as an attempt to do so. No, absolutely. And again, Samuel Keenan Thurman, uh, one of the key arch, um, what do you call him? I don't know what you call a person that simply comes on the scene, and whether whether initiated by Mr. by Samuel Keenan Thurman or not, uh, all he had to do was tell the truth. And that was he knew nothing in regards to what the prosecution of the government was trying to bring. Uh, therefore, he falls under the category of a traitor, uh, a man that threw people, innocent men, under the bus without any type of thought or consideration uh, for what he was doing. Uh, make no mistake about it. He continued to peddle these lies. He continued to. And by him being a person uh, that was a, a, a member of the church at a time, uh, to do this uh, is disgraceful. Uh, should have never happened. But again, David, as you go into, you know, the, the, the things that the government of the United States, a USA, uh, U.S. Attorney Kirsch, Matthew Kirsch, to take these steps and do what he did, is he should not even be able to practice in any prosecutor's office or as an attorney on any scale, uh, because that is what I call corruption. And when innocent men go to prison based upon a foundation being laid and you have a church attached to it. See, the bottom line is Colorado Springs Fellowship, they found no wrongdoing with this church. They found no wrongdoing. So in order to not look like I have egg on my face, because we came in with guns blazing, so to speak, you found nothing. There was nothing credible there. Well, let's target now these men, because Pastor Rose Banks, who has been a pillar of this community in Colorado Springs for over 38 years. Listen to that number. There has been nothing but an impeccable record of morality and really teaching her flock to respect the laws of the land. How then do you target a church, not a mega church? How do you target a church that brings life to so many different people in a community with one end? That is to try to affect a community pillar and at the same time destroy the lives of these men uh, is, is mind-boggling to me. You're going to hear a little bit tonight uh, on some comments and, uh, that we had an opportunity to interview Pastor Banks. You're going to hear a little bit of what she has to say about that. And some of the outreach programs, David, that the Colorado Springs Fellowship is involved in, you try to figure out if somebody's you know, buying a, a couple of jets, they're living five different mansions across the United States. There's different things happening where people say, well, we need to find out. Not the case here. And that's what makes it such a mystery. Why this church, why Pastor Rosebank's the target, the target of the entire investigation. And when asked if the church was under any type of investigation, their response was not at all. But there were over 9,000 financial pages of financial records where they went into the church's accounts for five years. 
thinking for sure they would find a smoking gun. That didn't happen. David. Yes, on June 10th, like, uh, like I said, we laid a little foundation. The government decided they were going after the church. On June 10th, uh, the U.S. attorney spokesperson in Colorado told KRDO-TV News, this was in 2010, that the church was not, not a target of the investigation. However, the grand jury foreman disagreed with that premise when on the stand she said Pastor Rose Banks was the target of the investigation. So the government was doing something that was untoward here and nefarious. Uh, and they were pursuing the church. The grand jury, uh, and I, we'll talk some more about that, the grand jury proceeding was nothing about the business, or at least it was, the business was lightly dealt, dealt with, but many questions were asked of parishioners about the church. Where did this come from? And that's... Uh, uh, we all, all the RP5 and RP6 attended the church our whole lives or for practically 20 to 30 years. So the government thought that they could use the church as a sword uh, to get us and convict us and throw us in prison and also take down a predominantly African-American church, which shouldn't surprise anyone uh, with the current climate. No, no, absolutely right. And, uh, uh, we sent a letter to the members of Congress, Cliff. You'll remember this. Uh, and the letter, I'll, I'll give you a couple of excerpts from this letter. Uh, and we sent this a few years back. Uh, again, while, while Senator Orrin Hatch was over the Senate Finance Committee uh, and stated this, a just cause has found shocking and troubling information that goes to the very fabric of this nation. And the following information you review is troubling. Our right to privacy and respect under the law is available to every citizen in the United States. In addition, our religious freedoms and our churches should be protected from those rights uh, being taken away. The Colorado Springs Fellowship Church and its members have suffered disgrace and shameful and unlawful acts of the federal government at the hands of an assistant United States attorney, Matthew Kirsch, the FBI, and the Internal Revenue Service. Those agencies, folks, listen to what that says, and we'll get more to that letter. We're talking about the most powerful entities in government. When you're talking about the FBI, you're talking about the IRS, and then you're talking about joining forces with the United States Attorney's Office in Denver, John Walsh, and Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, that came together and really conspired, conspired together to do what they did in trying to access these records. Here's what doesn't make sense to me. Why did you go for five years? Because when you initially went into those accounts, you found nothing. Thinking and really working on building a theory of a case, well, surely somewhere in these five years, we're going to get something. They never found one action of corruption. Not one thing that was not lawful, Not even though they violated the rights of Pastor Banks, her members, and the church without any subpoena. And we are supposed to sit back and say, oh, we have the greatest system in the world? Now, what if Grandma's church is next? Down there in Idaho or Iowa or Indiana? What if any church is susceptible to this? What does that mean? It means one thing. If the government of the United States decides corrupt or not, 
to go after you as a target, they're going to do their best to do it. And they have nobody uh, that is off limits uh, in that situation. That is the most disgraceful thing. And Cliff, share with our listeners a little bit about our meeting with with uh, Chris Armstrong. He was over the Senate Finance Committee under Orrin Hatch, but he was head on that office for legal. When we went to Washington, D.C. and put that on the table, how troubling how troubling was it to them when we began to turn the pages back? Yeah, you have the, I mean, Chris Armstrong was at that time the uh, lead counsel for, for that office. I mean, they had oversight um, for, uh, what, was, what was their office? Oversight on, uh, on, on a budget. Okay. Yeah. And so, and they handled they handled any type of uh, action by the IRS. They handled any type of uh, action for uh, anything corrupt, anything that looked like the IRS was stepping outside its bounds for any investigation that they did. And when he when we showed him the information, and these are not things we're making up. I mean, this is uh, court documentation where you have Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch saying, you know. Uh, if I show how I got the the uh, banking records, that could be a slippery slope. Um, and telling the judge that I don't believe these defendants had a right, uh, any right to privacy uh, for their financial records. And that if he did get the financial records unlawfully, what does that have to do with this case? Those are the type of statements. And when you have that in black and white as part of court documentation, then that oversight committee and their lead counsel, Chris Armstrong, said this this is troubling. This is an issue. He went back, checked. He said anytime there's an IRS investigation, ex- especially on a on a, a religious uh, rights entity like the Colorado Springs Fellowship obviously is as a church, he said there is a record that is in Congress that he can pull up to say this is an investigation that the IRS has. This is how they went about getting it. When he went to check his records, he found nothing on Colorado Springs Fellowship. And our response was, well, Mr. Armstrong, if there is no record that you have of the IRS or the federal government investigating Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, how then are they in possession of 9,000 pages of financial bank information he, he did not have an answer for us at, uh, for that question he uh, referred us to the uh, US Treasury US Treasury Department investigation uh, division they did an investigation and basically the federal government assistant US attorney Matthew Kurz told the Treasury Department their investigative team Screw off. I'm not answering any questions that you have for me. You go talk to my boss, who at that time was the U.S. Attorney John Walsh. We, as the Carl Springs Fellowship, as a just cause, uh, Pastor Banks, her parishioners, still to this day do not have an answer for things that happened in that courtroom. And obviously, the uh, gentlemen from IRP Solutions still do not have an answer yet as to why was Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch allowed to be in possession of bank records that he had no subpoena for, he had no position, he had no permission to receive. The grand jury asked him how they got the records. They could not even answer the grand jury. And to this day, there is no answer and no one has been held accountable. Those are the things that have to be exposed. And the judge, Judge Christine Arguello, that allowed this to happen in her courtroom with a prosecutor saying, even if I did illegally 
obtain uh, financial records, what does that have to do with anything? Those are the type of things that need to be dealt with, the prosecutor needs to be dealt with, and Judge Christine Arguello as well. Well, make no mistake about it. Uh, the judge, this stops at the feet of the judge, that you allowed a officer of the court to make a statement, well, what if I did break the law? And you sat on that bench silent and did nothing about it. That is a disgrace to the judicial process. It is a disgrace to due process. For any defendant and for a prosecutor, United States Assistant U.S. Attorney, sanctioned by John Walsh, to make that statement, that tells you the culture of our system. Had, if any defendant sits at a defendant's chair in a court of law, makes a statement right before he goes on trial, and he says, well, so what if I did it, and tells that to the jury or to a judge, why don't somebody tell me what the consequence would be? He's done. But we allow officers of the court to carry that out. Dave, your thoughts? Well, one of the things that I wanted to say is when we started going through the discovery, I saw my banking records in there. And I called N Federal Credit Union, who I, I banked with at the time, and asked them if they had received a subpoena for my banking records. They sent me to the person. There was one person at the bank that would supply those records. And she told me, I keep a spreadsheet of every subpoena I get, and I do not have a subpoena for your records. Well, how did the FBI get my banking records if and Federal Credit Union did not uh, receive a subpoena to give them the banking records? Absolutely right. And further in this letter, states here that the, a church that for years has impacted its community in a very positive way, the information and acts of misconduct and violating the rights of its institution and its members is appalling. We ask that a review of these unlawful actions be investigated, that the financial institutions be held accountable for the violation of the Privacy Act, and that all those responsible for trampling the Constitution of the United States be held accountable. That is, these are the facts, ladies and gentlemen. This is not something you make up. The RP5 Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, Pastor Rose Banks, lived this violation. They lived it. They went through it. Someone must be held accountable. Hang on to your seats, folks. This is AJC Radio, a church targeted by the United States government. We come back on the other side of this break. Hang on. Equality. I stand for individuality. I stand for peace. I stand for diversity. I stand for dignity. I stand for respect. I stand for fairness. Red, yellow, black, white. We're all the same color. When you turn out the light.
can't sit here. Don't add her to the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? You started it. It's so gross. Lame. User. Weirdo. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shamer. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. Hurt. We have the power to be more. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop. Take a moment and consider others before we speak. And before we act. Be more. Be more. Be more. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do board chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a lot. My dad, because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing his really important work driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. 
If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. after being forgotten in a vehicle in 70 degree weather it takes only minutes for the inside of a car to heat up like an oven at 104 degrees heat stroke begins followed by loss of consciousness yeah. an hour and a half or so Kids in Cars. And there you have it. This is AJC Radio bringing the message of justice all around the world tonight. And tonight we have, I'll tell you what, folks, we've come across really some difficult information uh, and facts that shows really a abuse of government in the judicial process of the RP5 case and the attack of a church here in Colorado Springs, Colorado Springs Fellowship, Pastor Rose Banks, uh, the pastor there, where there were actions and steps taken uh, in really uh, violating the rights of its members, the church, and anybody that was involved with that suffered a violation of law. Um, William, as we have discussed thus far on this show, uh, it, it gives you a very, I mean, a sick feeling uh, that the government would stoop and go to such lengths to make those things happen. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, what they do is, like David said, if they cannot, if they don't have a case, they'll manufacture. And the sad thing is they're going to go after the things that these men cared about. And, you know, they want to push these buttons. They want to try to manipulate. They want to try to, again, manufacture some kind of angle or reason or way to get these people to to conform or break or to do whatever. And and it's a a very vindictive and evil way of of looking at things. So when you you talk about this, I mean, the content of this 
show and this story is really, really deep. And when you look at it from that perspective, you actually see that, you know, these people will manipulate and they'll lie to do whatever they can to get to uh, get to the end that they want. Sorry. Well, uh, absolutely right. And uh, point well made, William, that, look, as long as we live in this bubble, uh, no pun intended given the pandemic, as long as we live in this bubble of a belief system that nobody is doing any of those things that are wrong, until you live and injustice comes to your front door, you can imagine a church and institution here locally with an impeccable record that you would do these things. It is more than just going into bank accounts. It is a, a violation. You hear people say all the time when somebody does something like this, they feel violated. I would presume and, and assume that every person felt that way. Cliff, we have a caller. Yes, we have uh, Pastor Banks is uh, calling, has a comment, and Pastor Banks, you're live. Yes, thank you for taking my call. I was sitting here hearing all that went down with this, and I remember when Channel 13 News asked, asked the, uh, 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 the speaker in the U.S. Attorney's Office, was, was the church under investigation? Absolutely not, he said. I don't try to understand. The church wasn't under investigation. Why then would they go into the church's banking record, and not only the church's banking records, but in my banking record, and about nine or ten of our our parishioners that had worked at the IRP six. I mean, at the at the um, at the at the at the business they own. So, I'm trying to understand. If that wasn't that way, why did you have 9,000 pages of church information uh, and had gone into the banking, uh, into these banks and credit unions, and everybody said that they didn't have any subpoena? How do we in this country allow the government to do whatever they want to do when they want to do it and go and go into a church's records and pull out all this stuff, and apparently they had... They had connections with the banks here in Colorado Springs because they gave them the record, and they didn't even have a subpoena, didn't have to present one. So I think that's the thing that really gets to me is that if you're going to come after a church, they never followed now one rule that the IRS has set up. If you're going to investigate a church or whatever, these are the rules you have to follow. They didn't follow not one of those rules not one of them. And then on top of that, um, I think I was just really, really aggravated over the fact that when they went to the grand jury, if the guys at the IRP-5 was under investigation, why was all the questions at the grand jury put to our church members who they called into the grand jury and every question was about the church. Everything was about the church. Well, if the church is not is not being investigated, why would the why would all these questions come up about the church uh, from the grand jury? That's another thing that puzzles me. 
they wanted to know about the house. It was my daughter uh, on the uh, at the church board meeting and when all the discussion went on about the house. And I couldn't understand it. Uh, it was just from one extreme to another. Uh, also, I think that another thing that really bothers me is that after they did all of this, then they say Kendrick's lawyer tells them, one of the, uh, of the IRP5's lawyers told him that Matthew Kirsch told him, whatever we do, we must not let this church information come up in trial or we will lose this whole case. So how in the world do these people could actually put something like this in place? And then say, don't mention the church's name in front of the jury, and uh, at least we'll, 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 we'll lose the case. Well, some of our members began to question the IRS. Why are you asking so, I mean, I mean the, the, the prosecutor, why are you asking so many people about, about the church? And, and the minute she said church, the judge, uh, Guayo said to her, uh, I don't want you to bring that up in this courtroom. I, I'm, not re- I'm not saying exact words but the, of, of the essence. Uh, to bring up something in this courtroom about the church, I'm going to ask you not to do that. And when she brought it up again, she said, uh, I, I will not put up with this. She, she, she uh, kind of scolded her on the stand to tell her that she didn't appreciate it and don't bring it back up again. So how is it that you tell us we get a fair trial, but when we try to ask questions about why you're asking us all these church questions, why then are we muzzled in the in the in the in the um, at the trial so the jury couldn't hear all these different things? The jury didn't hear a lot of stuff that they should have heard. Then what takes what what really makes me upset is that U.S. Attorney John Walsh. He was working with them on this case. And you know what? Even when the guys wanted to go in and show their proof, he told them, I won't let you in unless your government-appointed attorneys accompany you. When they went to the government-appointed attorney and asked them to go in with them to John Walsh so they could show the proof of their innocence, they said, we're not going in with you. So that was all a setup as well. So we're not going to hear, we don't want to hear. John Walsh was as much a part of this thing as all the rest of them. Now, what really, really blows your mind is that the association here where I live was doing everything in their power to try to harass me from the time I came up here. They continue to harass. They tried to uh, file foreclosure on this house uh, based on a bunch of lies. And John Walsh, the U.S. attorney, was in with the he was in with the um uh, uh, uh he was in with the association and so I was so shocked when I got the papers that they wanted to foreclose on this house for no reason and I didn't even know you could foreclose on a house unless you was behind in payments. The association can do all kind of stuff. Well they didn't want me up here. I'm I'm a black I'm a black pastor. They didn't want no black person up here. Well, I'm up here, and 20 years later, I'm still here. So, but he signed off with the association to foreclose on my house. This this is uncomprehendable. I hope somebody hears this program tonight. I really do. And say, somebody, we as a group need to, need to look into what just happened. 
with this pastor and this church. They stressed my daughter out so much in the grand jury, never before have been, been in a court of law ever. They stressed out so bad till she she had an unbelievable headache. And the same headache that, that was the result of her death after the grand jury. This this thing just really gets to me. Another thing I wanna I wanna say, Alan Bean, organization out of Texas, he came here to to investigate and look into this situation. And he asked me, Rose, do you know who would have tried to come against you and the church? I said, no, I really don't. He said, well, have you ever thought about the evangelicals could have done this to you? I said, really? I never gave it any thought because I don't know any evangelicals. I'm not, with, I'm not around any of them. So I never gave that any thought. He said, that sounds like something evangelicals would do. I did not I did not know that. And then he went back and put he put this on his website if somebody wanted to go see it. Uh, it's called the Friends of Justice. And he said here's what his his here's what his conclusion was. He said this was to hinder or prevent the progress or stand in the way of the, where is the rest of it? Stand in the way to prevent them from being successful, he said. And he said that uh, this is what they've done to try to hinder these things. It was, a, it was definitely a racial motivated thing and very biased toward these men to prevent them from being able to really progress and, make, and, 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 uh, and be successful in their business. You can go on his site. And I, uh, it's for the it's for the uh, for the Friends of Justice website, and Alan Bean is the one on that website, and he came here to investigate it. That's what he concluded, that this was a biased, very racially, very racially, um, uh, yeah, very racially motivated. That's why they did this to these men. So he said, these men are innocent. They didn't they didn't commit a crime. So. When I think about this sometimes and I start talking about it, I get so upset. I really didn't even want to call in about it tonight because of that, because it really does get to me to think that you could be here, uh, pastor of a church for all these years, with a tremendous outreach in the community, reaching out to people, caring for people. And one thing we're very proud of, how we honored our soldiers once a month, and gave them gifts and gift cards and what have you at Christmas time, reaching out to them. We've done nothing but good things in this community. Why would anybody um, I have a problem with that? So I am really, really uptight about this. I hate to even talk about it because every time I bring it up, it eats at the core of who I am as a pastor, as a woman, and then he put on his site, our congregation was outraged by this stuff. They were set out to, to stop a black business in this community. I don't know, but I tell you, I've traveled a lot of places with my husband in the military. And if I say something that I think is really true, I have never been anywhere where I found more racial issues than in Colorado. And that is, that's very sad. 
And after your husband spends his life in the military, giving his life for why are you picked out to just treat badly uh, just because you're black? It is, it is a, a, a systemic problem in this country, and it's across the board. Everywhere there's racism. I mean, I don't care what you try to do, and nothing is good enough. It is so sad. So I am, yeah, I'm very upset. I didn't really want to come on here tonight to say nothing. But when I think about what has happened and what they have done, and somehow look like they've gotten away with it, but I don't believe that. I believe that the God I serve one day will bring all of this full circle, and we will know the people who played a, a part in this thing to destroy our guys. So he said they set up to hinder a black business to keep it from going forward. Why, why, why is it that in this country, when you just find a way to, be, to make an honest living, and, do, and and fulfill your dream, why is it that if you're black, you're not going to be allowed to do it? But we talk about the land of the free all you want to, and my husband helped to give his life and fight for the freedom. My sons went in, went in the military fighting for the freedom of this country. How is it that they get denied their freedom after they give their life for this country? I don't understand it. Twice my husband served in the Vietnam War. And I look at this and I think if my husband could have been here, he's, he's long gone now, but had he been here, he wouldn't believe it. You mean to tell me this is what I fought all for 25 years for freedom for America? Well, why, doesn't that not, why does that not apply to my sons and our friends and the church? Why shouldn't that apply to them? I can't believe it. And I'm telling you, by the time Orrin Hatch had this thing investigated, and we had two, uh, I, don't know what, I, don't, I don't know what they were, but uh, I guess two investigators out of Denver that had been contacted to come and check this out. And when they came and sat there with us, one thing we noticed, they said, oh, we know Matt. You call a, a U.S. attorney by his first name, you're on a first name basis, nine times out of ten, you ain't getting ready to give us nothing. And that's exactly the way it went. So, yeah, I'm, a, I'm upset, very upset. And when I try to think of all this stuff, my mind sometimes goes blank trying to figure out where and how and what, did, what happened in this place. And then to take these guys and put them in prison, they tried to prove that we was doing money laundering through the church from the guy's business, which was an outright lie. And was not one, not one little bit of evidence to support any of that stuff. I am, I am very much upset over what they did to us. And I hope enough people hear this story to say, we need to do something about this. You took away these men's lives. You took them away from their family with a corrupt judge and a corrupt prosecutor making it happen. It's the most tragic thing. And then to allow Gary Walker to even say that name makes me want to be sick to my stomach. 
to sit in a habeas corpus when there was no grounds for a habeas to begin with. He was such a coward. He told me these words at the prison. He said, I will, I'll do anything I have to to get out of this prison. And let the guys know, know, he let the guys know up front. However this goes, so be it. He wasn't going to stand with them. And you let him sit in a courtroom, an open courtroom, and tell lies on this pastor and this church. And the judge sit on the bench and began to address me in negative labels all over the place. She never met me. She knows nothing about me except some liars that come into the courtroom and lied. And Gary Walker was chief of those liars. May God give him what he rightly deserves. We don't have to go after anybody. The God we serve is going to bring vengeance. He takes care of it. And somewhere down the road, all of this stuff is coming out. I'm hoping because of this program that enough people will hear it out there to say, you know what, let's get up and do something about it. This is a tragedy. But if it happened to us, it can happen to anybody. And all I say, we're doing our job. I feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose that God called me to do, and I'm going to continue in spite of. But to let somebody sit in a courtroom and blast a church and a pastor that he had been a part of for almost 30 years, there's no truth to anything that he said. And she condoned it after he said he said all this stuff about uh, me being the CEO of, of uh, RP Solutions, which was a lie. I I did God called me to have to uh, to have have a church and to preach the gospel. I wasn't called for no software junk. I know nothing about software to begin with. Not interested in it. He told so many lies so you can't even keep up with them. But I hope somebody hears it. And the U.S. Attorney John Walsh needs to be brought under investigation for what he did when he tried to have this pastor put out this house. And the, uh, and the, and the, the attorneys for the, administ- for, for the association said, one thing we got to do, we got to get that pastor out of that house. And our attorney said, you mean to tell me that's what this is all about? To get the pastor out of her home? And he sat there and looked dumbfounded. He didn't mean to let that out, but it came out. What are you bothering this pastor for? What did she do to you? Nothing. So if the evangelicals was a part of it, God will take care of that too. I don't have to take care of it. So I thank you for giving me this opportunity. I'm sorry that while well, I'm trying to bring this out, that it's really, really getting to me. And I, I, I wish I hadn't had to touch it. But... Uh, I'm glad I did. Hope that it'll help some other small churches that if they did it to Sister Rose and Colorado Springs Fellowship, they could come after you too. Somebody better cry out against this stuff. Thank you for taking my call. And thank you, Pastor Banks. Um, very troubling. Uh, when you hear the, the, really the emotions of Pastor Banks, of the emotions 
of the RP5 to to suffer that level of injustice is uncomprehendable. I can tell Pastor Banks tonight, AJC Radio Just Cause Organization will implement a complete social media campaign push of this show, of the facts in this situation, and we will not rest until every person connected at the United States Attorney's Office, that to include Matthew Kirsch, and any attorneys in that office, a social media blitz campaign will kick off tonight, and this message will go out across this nation and around the globe. This is AJC Radio on the other side of the break. Pastor Banks referenced why would a church targeted be targeted who does so much in a community to change lives? We will deal with some of those programs on the other side of this break. This is AJC Radio. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. 
And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. I wanted to be in the military since I was since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young black You can protest, you can try to make it change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Just get in and talk about it. I've got to go home. Oh, come on, Carrie. You're going to a new place. She wants to go home, right? You okay to drive? Fine. You sure? Relax. What's a few beers? 
If you don't stop your friend from drinking and driving, you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. Tonight has been gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching. As we heard from Pastor Banks moments ago, it is hard to wrap your hands around of a system that would engage in cruelty of injustice on this level. You cannot begin to understand it. As we at AJC Radio, a Just Cause organization, began to turn the pages back, you are moved with emotion because not only was a church targeted, a pastor who has pastored for 38 years in this community. The IRP5, intelligent men who sought out to embrace the entrepreneur spirit. It leaves you all struck that such an injustice could happen. We will, at a just cause, continue to echo the words of Pastor Banks tonight. And Dennis, as you hear this radio show turn the pages back of the process that this church, that these men, their lives were affected, what does that do to you? It almost leaves me uh, speechless. I mean, it's after listening to the pastor and then uh, also listening to the guys, uh, the RP5 and, you know, all the corruption and, and how a judge, uh, you know, sided with the prosecutor instead of being a referee. And, and it's so sad, you know, how they uh, took the church and used it as a pawn, you know, in hopes. Uh, that this way we could bring both bring down these guys and the church, but it's sad, and you could hear the frustration and and the tiredness uh, from the pastors. Uh, you know, you get to a point where you say, "Enough is enough." We understand that it's in the hands of God, but you really get tired of seeing people uh, where there's no accountability. You know, there's a point in which you know there are people. Uh, that are above the law, and they could do anything they want, uh, you know, to ruin lives and to hurt people. And uh, we talk about uh, Lawana and how that affected her, you know, with the, the you know, with the, the headaches. I, I mean, it's just, it's so sad, and, and, and it's just, you know, it makes you want to, it almost makes you feel that, wow, man, this justice system really uh, is not justice at all. It, it, it is It is partial. And it is definitely not blind uh, when it comes to uh, race and when it comes to, you know, just just allowing 
you know, these individuals to do anything and everything without, you know, with, you know, there's, there's without nothing that can happen to them. I mean, they're, they're above the law. And I think this, this show and all those that are out there listening, please, uh, we ask, uh, get involved. I mean, enough is enough. Uh, there should be no one above the law and there should be no one with power as such. Well, and that's something that, that needs to be looked at. Let me give you a little bit of background on Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Uh, the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, a non-denominational church. church was founded and organized by Pastor Rose Banks, who you just heard from moments ago in 1981. Uh, as part of giving back to the community, Pastor Banks organized and facilitated the execution of several community outreach programs, military appreciation, uh, this program gives the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church an opportunity to say thank you to our troops and their families for the sacrifices that are made in order to protect our nation. And Colorado Springs is a very dominated military town. So a token of our appreciation on the first Sunday of every month, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church has a special ceremony in honoring our soldiers. The homeless outreach, ministering to the physical and spiritual needs of the homeless, by seeking out the homeless on the streets, bridges, railroad tracks, and in temporary shelters. This, the reason we read this tonight, this is who the United States government chose to target. So not only have you infringed on the right of a church, but you affect those that this church, Colorado Springs Fellowship, has reached, have impacted. Law enforcement outreach with the climate that currently exists in the nation towards many law enforcement agencies, Pastor Banks uh, set out to implement a program to show support to local law, local law enforcement. Do the math on this if you'd like from Colorado Springs Fellowship that she set out and put in place as leader of this church to feed every sheriff deputy, every Colorado Springs police officer, with a lunch or with breakfast, depending on the shifts that they worked. Because she felt compelled to say to the local community, we don't want to lump you in one boat, but we want to say thank you to those that honor the badge and that are not the officers like and as that took the life of George Floyd. What can we do? Colorado Springs Fellowship had an opportunity before, again, all of these programs implemented by Pastor Banks, Rose Banks, adopt a student, a way to reach out and help students that were not able to help furnish supplies and school supplies for themselves. That still is in operation today. She talked very briefly in regards to Thanksgiving this past year. 25 separate families were given a complete meal. I'm talking a holiday turkey. I'm talking all the sides, all the fixings, everything. The 25 families that came down in a local neighborhood and picked up Thanksgiving dinner for their families. Let me not even mention Christmas. We have lost count of the number of families that were touched by this pastor where a group of people went to separate Walmarts 
And as parents were shopping, pulled up to the register and paid for Christmas for these families. Not only was that work with the local schools in some of the more poverty-stricken areas of the city, provided a Christmas tree with all the fixes, along with Christmas lists that these kids made out. And not one family went away without everything on their list. This is a church that this government targeted. What do you say to the children who enjoyed Christmas? One lady in one of the stores, nine kids, had no way to provide Christmas. Colorado Springs Fellowship provided that Christmas. And she was overwhelmed. You can say what you want. So when a judge, as Christina Aguayo, opines on the life of Pastor Banks, you know nothing. You know nothing and you choose not to know anything. So to those listening to this show, what I've named is very few. The senior outreach program that helps our seniors who felt or feel forgotten. Colorado Springs Fellowship, Pastor Banks, had a heart to reach out to them. We can go on and on and on. And that's why I said earlier, how does the government target such an institution of love? So when you hear the frustration from Pastor Rose Banks, it is warranted. And it's inexcusable. But as she said so beautifully, we leave those to God her words to the families to the gentlemen that sit to my right tonight Colorado Springs Fellowship Church at the leadership of Pastor Rose Banks rose up to answer the call of ensuring that the families of these men were taken care of this from a church When I said to you earlier, a pillar of its community, a pillar represents strength. You remove the pillar, the strength is taken away. Right now, as we talk about the outreach of Colorado Springs Fellowship and the target by this government, We had interviewed Pastor Banks earlier, and she talks a little bit about that military program that she started as pastor of Colorado Springs Fellowship. Let's take a listen. Yes, we can thank God for our military families. Having been a military wife for 21 years, I know the sacrifices that are made every day. We are so thankful to God for you to be here today, for all that you've done in our behalf. 
in the behalf of people that may not never say thank you. Well, my husband spent two times in Vietnam. He's no longer with us. He's been passed away uh, last month for 19 years. But had he been here, this would have been the special part that he would have loved because he loved being a soldier. And I say to the families and to the children of military families that we are so glad that you're here, but you make a tremendous sacrifice. Not just sometime, every time. Every day, whether there's a war or not, you're making a sacrifice. I remember when we were stationed in Germany, uh, my husband, they would, uh, because we lived off post and, and the a housing area was a, a good ways from the base, ever so often they would have a, uh, a drill and to see how fast you could get to the post if there was an emergency. And I was just at 3 o'clock in the morning, you hear this loud, loud noise just sounding throughout the whole housing area. And I'm telling you, I've never seen my husband move that fast in my life. In a few minutes, he was in boots, uh, ready to go out that door because it was a matter of whether you could get there in time in case of an emergency. So in the middle of the night, you may have to give your husband up. And so, and you don't know exactly when he's coming back. And so there are many, many sacrifices. And sometimes even when I gave birth to my children, he was not there. But I am grateful for all of you that are willing to do what you do for our country. There you have it, uh, Pastor Rose Banks thanking the military soldiers face to face. This is the church. This is who the government chose to target. It brings to light the statement by Pastor Banks that she has spent her life making a difference as a leader of this very church that was vilified. That's a slap in the face. Right now, I would like to go to the RFP5 guys of the impact that Colorado Springs Fellowship and Pastor Banks has had in your life during the, probably the darkest days that you had ever walked. David, we'll start with you. Well, uh, uh, Pastor Banks, uh, first off, I'd like to say is my mother. Um, during our time in prison, during my time, uh, the government had unlawfully taken so much from us, including our liberty. And the goal of Pastor Banks and the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church was to make sure to limit the damage that the government could do and would take from us uh, in this uh, unlawful a process that they put us through that, that took our freedom, that damaged our family, uh, hurt my daughter. It's, you really need strong support when going through something of, of the tragic injustice that we suffered and the pain and suffering of your family that, that ensues as a part of it. Uh, Pastor Banks and the church took care of 
my daughter when I couldn't provide for her because I was unlawfully sitting in prison for eight years. Um, there's nothing worse than, than a, a man who can't be there to take care of his family, if not for Pastor Banks and the church. Uh, the government sought to destroy me. He sought to destroy them. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, in my view, uh, AUSA Kirsch and John Walsh, Judge Arguello would have loved to see my family on the street because that's the type of heinous uh, acts that they took uh, to completely destroy our lives and to do it in an unlawful manner. But the church stepped in under the leadership of Pastor Banks and made sure everything was taken care of. My daughter graduated from college. Uh, she didn't have to suffer. Thanks be to Pastor Banks, my mother, and the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, she did not have to suffer. And I don't think, I don't think it can be understated or overstated just how much that support system meant. She came when she was tired. Uh, my family, uh, she did. She visited me in prison. Church members visited me in prison. This was not, this is every single week for eight years. So we were never alone. And uh, for Judge Arguello to take to the bench, you heard all the outreach programs. She takes to the bench and says, Pastor Banks is, my mother's vindictive and mean spirited. Where, where, where did you hear vindictiveness? Where did you, where, where's the mean spirited in helping the military, in helping families, in helping school children? Uh, where's the vindictiveness and mean spirit? And she doesn't know. And it just shows you just how despicably corrupt uh, these officials were in this case and, and that there still exists a culture of corruption in our justice system that people, unless you go through it, really don't understand. And uh, to have that sort of support system, uh, it just can't be understated. And uh, we owe my family, uh, myself, we owe a, a great debt of gratitude to Pastor Banks, to the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, and to God for uh, taking care of our families while we were away. Well spoken, David. Demetrius? When you're in prison, a lot of guys don't have a support system. We cannot say that the IRP5 are together, reunified, because of our church family and a leader that stood with us, held our hands up in prayer. As David said, came faithfully. We never, not one of us ever, ever were without visitors. And as David said, my family would be homeless today because that's what the government's intention was to not allow us to provide for our families. And I see now, Lamont, how Leadership is important to rally a church community, to stand together, to be unified, to say, let's support our brothers, our brothers that are in chains. And I cannot tell you the support that was needed every Saturday, Friday night. We would look forward to seeing our friends, our family, to hug, to fellowship, to say that you're in our thoughts, you're in our prayers. And it goes back to having someone that says let's do this together 
you know, you can't do it by yourself. Doing it together is something. And we took that together as, as, as the five men there that we stuck together. We, we watched for one another. We watched each other because prison, anything could go sideways very quickly. And I'm thankful for, I've known this pastor. I've been a part of this church for 44 years. And I'm thankful that we had a support system that was praying, that was looking for us to, and supporting us. And I just, I'm just thankful to God that we had that. Kendrick. I would just like to say that all five of us have been through an ordeal when you're innocent and to go through what we went through, the mental strain and the anger is, can sometimes be unbearable. And you heard the frustration from Pastor Rose just minutes ago, but she always teaches us and this church to not let bitterness get in, not to hate those that did evil to us, but to pray. Now, there's few people that will, a lot of people tell you the right thing to do, but that we see an example through Pastor Rose Banks on how you should live. That's how I'm able to go on to the next day is because to this day, from the beginning when we started trying to get out there and do business, all we had was from was support and encouragement from this pastor, Rose Banks, and the College Women's Fellowship Church. Through our ordeal, through prison, we've had support from Pastor Rose Banks and College Women's Fellowship Church. And even now, to make sure that we all are in a good mental well-being that we're not going to give up and not to let what evil that was done to us affect the rest of our lives. I mean, that to me, you can't pay money for that. And that's the biggest impact I think is that I can sit here today and smile because there's a pastor out there who said, you know what, let's do it the way that Jesus Christ would do it. And I'm watching her do it. And that's what keeps me going. Dave. One of the things I have to say is that without Pastor Banks in the church, I would have nothing. After I was convicted, I asked my family for help. I was told no. But this church and that pastor stood up for me. It supported me in everything. I would have no place to live right now. I would have had no visitors at the prison. I would have had nothing to be able to spend money in, in commissary. I had visitors every week. I even had people that would look at me. I'm white. All my visitors were black. And they would say, we never see that in the prison. Well, how is this happening? I said, this is my church family. This is my real family. These are the people that support me and care about me, care about my well-being. When I would be having a bad time in the prison, the pastor would talk to me. She would talk to me. She would say, pray, talk to God. He'll take you through this. This was the worst experience of my life. And without them... I never would have made it through. And today, to have the support of this church family, this pastor, is more than I can even um, explain to you. It's overwhelming at times to feel the love, especially coming from a situation where you're abused every single day. You come out, and there are times that I feel the love in the church, and I just break down and start crying because it touches me so much that they didn't have to do this. I'm, I'm nobody, but they took me in as family and made sure that I was taken care of, and I can never say thank you enough. Clint? Yes, I really 
appreciate a great debt of gratitude to the church and to Pastor Banks. I remember when I was in prison and my brother, who's a member of the church, uh, contacted my mother's uh, sister, my aunt. Uh, We've always had a very good relationship, and all she knows about me is an honest, um, upstanding citizen. And he asked her, because she does have the means to support uh, a bail bond uh, on my behalf. And she refused. And um, it it was really very, very hurtful uh, to hear her say, if the government has indicted him, he must have done something wrong. And uh, But nobody in the church feels I've done anything wrong. Pastor Banks believes in me and has always been there supporting and making a sacrifice and leading and encouraging others. Support your brothers. And so I owe a great debt of gratitude to the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, to Pastor Banks as, as a leader, and how much I owe I'm so thankful to God uh, to have been a member of this church and the great debt that I owe. uh, I'm I'm just so desirous to pay it, but I just very, very thankful that I have people standing by me like this, supporting us through all of our prison sentence, being there, supporting my daughter who's 17 years old when I went in, a single parent. She has no other support. The church stepped in. Pastor Banks is very encouraging. And to this day, I just very, very thankful. I say thank you. Can't say thank you enough. And thank you, Clint. You know, there are testimonials that get a high level of priority. What you've heard here thus far tonight as we get ready to go to break and for our final segment do what we need to do to counter the abusive slandering by federal judge Christine Arguello. Pastor Banks spoke at one time why we need leadership. I think we've, they've summed it up in what we've discussed thus far. And why, again, does the government target a religious institution that has impacted the lives, not for one day, before a lifetime. I'm going to hear Pastor Banks on that quote or that statement, why we need leadership. And we're going to come back for the final segment. We need good, solid leadership. That's what we need. We need the church to lead, but it doesn't. We need parents to lead, but they don't. We need siblings, older siblings to lead, but they don't. We need people that say they're Christians to lead on our job, but they don't. In every part of society, we need leadership. We need somebody to be the light, somebody to point them to Jesus, somebody to say it's a way out of this situation. We need some people that will stand up and say, I'll do the right thing so somebody else following me will know how to do the right thing. Yes. Let's just be honest. When we look across the street to the Supreme Court and we see equal justice under law, 
Um, when you have drug laws so severely, disparately enforced against some groups, let's, let's take African Americans, for example, there's no difference between black and white marijuana usage or marijuana sales, in fact. But blacks are about 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for it. Uh, African Americans are more likely to get uh, mandatory minimums, are more likely about 13 to get 13% longer sentences, and it's created these jagged disparities in incarceration. In my state, blacks are about 13, 14% of the population, they make up over 60% of the prison population. And remember, the overall majority of people we arrest in America are nonviolent offenders. Now you've got this this disparity in the arrest, but that creates disparities that painfully fall all along the system. When you get arrested uh, for possession with intent to sell, do it in inner city, now you're within a school zone. So now you have to face an even higher mandatory minimum. Now you're 19 years old with a felony conviction, possession, intent to sell in a school zone. Forget even all that. You just have a felony conviction for possession. What do you face now? Thousands of collateral consequences that will dog you for the rest of your life. You can't get a Pell Grant. You can't get business licenses. You can't get a job. You're hungry, can't get food stamps. Uh, you need a place to live, you can't even get public housing. And what that does is created within our country concentrated areas where you have massive levels of men being incarcerated. You create a caste system in which people feel like they, there's no way out. And we're not doing anything as a society like we know we could do because there's tons of pilot programs that show if you help people when they are coming back from a nonviolent offense, that their recidivism rates go dramatically down. If you don't help them, what happens is, left with limited options, many people make a decision to go back into that world of, of narcotics sales. Uh, uh, what's more dangerous to society? Someone smoking marijuana in the privacy of their own home or somebody going 30 miles over the speed limit, racing down a road in, in a community? What is more dangerous to society? But yet that teenager who makes a mistake for doing things the last three presidents admitted to doing, now they have a felony conviction because it's more likely they're going to get caught. And for the rest of their life, they're 29, 39, 49, 59, they're still paying for a mistake they made as a teenager. Now, that's not the kind of society uh, that I believe in, nor is it fiscally responsible. Nor It's undermining their productivity, undermining their ability to take care of their family. This is so wrong that those conversations that I'm having with conservatives as well as uh, Democrats uh, are resonating. And so when you have people like Rand Paul standing up and talking about racial disparities in incarceration, this convergence and understanding uh, of fiscal conservatives, of Christian conservatives, of libertarians, shows me that this is a time of great hope for our country. And so I'm not going to question people's motives. This is one of those issues like the civil rights movement in the 1960s, where it should pull all Americans together to say enough is enough. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Corpsman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, 
And even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories, not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. Tonight we have find, we find we find ourselves in very troubled waters. And abuse of power at a whole nother level. We find the most sacred of institutions targeted in a way that is unbelievable. Many of us through our lifetime remember that one church on the community corner in a neighborhood. We remember a church in the most rural areas of a nation that brought hope to those that sought it. But yet in today's world, in the case of the IRP-5, that institution was degraded. You can go to Capitol Hill at any time, and in the time of crisis and trouble, you will find members from both sides of the aisle walking into a church to make its effort and attempt to heal the nation. Tonight we find ourselves in troubled waters. As I reflect on the words of Pastor Banks, the words of the IRP-5, my heart is wrenched with sadness for an act that is inexcusable. For one end, to destroy the hopes and the lives of the innocent. The IRP-5 men, and before they were the IRP-5, the IRP-6, all of them were innocent of the crime that they were accused of. But in order to stroke egos, to not look as bad as the next one, They sought out to target a church, an institution, a pillar of its community. Write this down. The Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, Pastor Rose Banks, a pillar for 38 years, giving hope to those that have lost theirs, giving hope to children at one of the most important holidays of the year, which is Christmas. Giving hope to the hungry 
at Thanksgiving when no food was on the table and to reach out to a community in harm's way. We salute the efforts if no one else does of Pastor Rose Banks and the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Tonight, the title of this show, The RP5 Speak and a Church Targeted. The Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. We rise above the ashes and we salute you. And really, there's not much left to be said. Next week, join us at this time as we continue the story of the IRP5 and the truth finally being told. A very special thanks to all of the IRP5, David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Clinton Stewart, and to Pastor Rose Banks for her thoughts and to share with us just a little insight into what has occurred. I can assure you, Just Cause and AJC Radio will continue to lift our voice that the truth of this story of the RP5 be told. So next Thursday, we'll see you next time. Good night, America.